my hard drive on my computer was pronounced officially dead. And so, I don't have PowerPoint again for you, so I'll try to go as slow as possible. That's hard for Southern people to do, isn't it? Um, as slow as possible so you guys can take notes. There should be an insert in your bulletin for you. Maybe some of you are just listeners, and that's fine too. Second um, Peter chapter 1 is our text. Hold on just a second. <coughs> Siri, remind me that Teresa's birthday is Friday. (laughs) Right, we need reminders, right? That's what this text is about. Siri was supposed to talk back to me for some dumb reason. Then inside here, you can't hear it. Isn't it great, though, that we've advanced from these little post-it? I have these in my office, and I still have them. I used to wear them around like this. You know, literally, the, the ladies would tell you that, you know, if you've worked with me for a while, I mean, Connie and Debbie know. I don't know that Amanda knows. I used to wear these things on my shirt just because I have a tendency to forget. And so um, I could even forget what I'm going to tell the ladies right down the hall. So I'd wear these things. I'd be, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. But now all you have to do is tell Siri, Right? Hey Siri, my wife's birthday is Friday, please don't let me forget. It really is Friday, and so I hope I don't forget, I'll be in trouble. Um, Really, that's kind of the the thrust of the text today, is on remembering. Now, you may be one of those, when it comes to remembering things, you have a really good recall. And so you may look at this text, and once we're done, you may go, well, I really didn't need that. But I would disagree with you. Because all of us need reminders. We all need reminders, especially in terms of who God is. I mean, that last song that we sang, didn't you like that? I mean, don't we need to be reminded about the love of the Father constantly? I know I do. I like that. We need reminders. It's something that we may not necessarily enjoy. Um, it's not always good to have reminders. Sometimes, you know, we, our wives might say, hey, babe, don't forget you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Uh, you have a colonoscopy Friday. I mean, right? So there are sometimes people remind us of things that are, that are going to be painful, right? And so, um, so sometimes reminders are difficult. But I think in terms of what Peter's accomplishing here in this text, uh, for his audience, reminders are good, It's good to be reminded about who we are in Christ. It's good to be reminded about our salvation, the richness of our salvation. It's good to be reminded that we need to be Christ-like. And that's exactly what Peter's doing in this text. He is reminding these guys. In fact, he's declaring himself that he, as really their shepherd, is going to be faithful to remind them. And so thus I've entitled the message this morning, Peter's Faithfulness. Now notice I didn't attach uh, perfection to this, but it's faithfulness. Um, No one's perfect. No one's going to do it all right all the time. No one's going to do it exactly right all the time, but 
But the Lord does expect us to be faithful. When you think about um, faithfulness, I had a question for you. Does your life reveal a faithfulness to the Lord? That's something only that you can answer, right? Don't ask your neighbor about that. But does your life reveal, does it demonstrate, does it show a faithfulness to the Lord? It's a good question to think through. Very compelling question, very good question to think through. You know, in terms of my life, that does your life really reflect a faithfulness to the Lord? Um, does your life really reflect a faithfulness to the Lord? Well, Paul's did. There's a great example um, for us in the Apostle Paul. His life is a great example of faithfulness. I want you to go back with me before we discuss this issue in Second Peter in terms of Peter's faithfulness. I want you to go back with me real quickly to Second Timothy chapter 4 because you're going to find that um, this section in Second Peter somewhat parallels what Paul writes in Second Timothy. Um, you have to remember that Paul is writing to an understudy. He's writing to the guy who's going to take over, right, the reins. And, and he's writing to this young man in the faith. And, and um, great study if you ever want to study First and Second Timothy. And, and so Paul understood he was coming to the end of his life. He understood, you know, what he was handing off. I want you to think about that for a minute. One of the greatest concerns that I have and, and, and as a pastor, right? I'm not going to pastor Grace Community Church forever. That's not happening. At some point in time, I'm going to walk out the doors and I'll be gone. But it does concern me who's going to stand up behind this pulpit. It does concern me. I hope it concerns you, <laughs> right? I hope that day will concern you because, because you don't just want the latest and the greatest. You want someone right, who's going to stand behind a pulpit who is going to teach God's word. I remember speaking up in New York one time and they were going, the, the former church I was at, and they were going through a, a really hard time. They, they had been through pastor and another pastor. They, I mean, they were really having a difficult time. And they had asked me to come and speak and I came and I spoke and, and I'll never forget, I was praying about it. Lord, what in the world do you want me to say? As I do all the time, I'm praying about it. And, and so I, I remember the Lord leading me to the passage, you know, about um, being a faithful minister of the Word of God. He led me to 2 Timothy. And I, I told him as a congregation, there were four or 500 people in this church, and I said, listen, um, you know, you're not hiring, you're not looking for someone who necessarily has to be in their 20s or 30s, the, na- the next greatest thing. I don't care if he's 30 or 50 or 70 or 90. You need to have a man that's going to stand behind the pulpit and preach the truth. That's what matters. That's what matters. Well, Paul gives testimony of his life. And, and as he's writing this to Timothy, he says, and you're probably pretty familiar with this section, but look in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Now, that term departure is the same word that Peter's going to use here in 2 Peter 1. Um, and and this, is, this is an exodus to the Lord. <laughs> That's what he's describing here. It's not a termination. Right? When we, when we think about death, death is not a termination. For the believer, it's an advancement. It's a promotion. 
I mean, Paul understood, I'm exiting to Christ. Well, that's a great thing. Peter understood that. The Lord had revealed it to him, as we're going to see in this section. Um, Peter understood that he was exiting to Christ. So, it does bring up a good question, which I didn't have in my notes. Are you going to exit to Christ? Do you know that for sure? Is your departure going to be from this world into the presence of your beloved Savior? Is that certainly a question worth thinking about? It is. It's not like the doctrine of the world that says everyone is going to be in heaven. Because as we know from the scriptures, Peter said it himself, there is one name under heaven. Right? And who is that? Jesus Christ. There's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And, and these guys understood that. They understood taking up that whole banner for Christ. They, they got that. And I think that's one of the great prayers we could have for the church, that we would get that. That we would get that. That, that, that this, is, this world, right, that we live in, it's not about this world. It's about our departure. And how am I going to live before I depart? And remember the thrust and the theme of Second Peter in the first chapter is, man, Peter's concerned about these guys and he's concerned about the way they're living and he's concerned about their advancement as Christians. He's really concerned as a shepherd, as shepherds should be. True shepherds of any congregation are concerned with the spiritual growth of the sheep. They're concerned. We don't just have elders on the back of the bulletin so you can see their phone numbers. The shepherds of grace need to be concerned about the spiritual growth, number one, in their own life, and number two, in the lives of the sheep. I mean, Peter and Paul got that. They really got that. And he says it. Verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Man, those are strong phrases. <laughs> those are strong. You know, it, it, it just, um, wow, this is going to be two sermons. This, the, it, it, it so reminds me of the setting of a funeral. And what's going to be said at your funeral well, I played golf and I gave to charities. And I did this and I did that. Man, I like golf. But I don't want anybody talking about golf at my funeral. Talk about Christ. I want people to know, man, that's celebrating right now. Because that's what the departure is. The departure for the believers is Celebration. And Paul states, you know, and some may look at this passage and think, oh, he's being arrogant. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. He has the future in mind. He understands the big picture. Look at verse 8. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, look at these words, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You 
You think if we took a national survey of the people who say, hey, I'm a part of the church, they would say, man, I can't wait till the Lord comes back. Or do you think maybe that there might be just a little bit, a tad too much love for this world? Man, that's what the enemy does. The enemy is out to rob you of the true joy. The true joy is yet future. Yes, we experience the joy of our salvation now. But wow, that joy of seeing, as John wrote in 1 John 3, to see the Lord in all of his glory face to face. This passage really gripped my heart because I'm a shepherd. And I take very seriously what the Lord has entrusted to me. It's humbling. I'm scared to death most every day. But there's no greater joy than serving Christ. I don't care. You say, well, that I'm not a shepherd. Well, are you a father? Are you a Christian father? You're a shepherd. <laughs> you are. Are you a Christian mother? Are you teaching your children? Are you teaching children here at church? You're shepherds. And what we teach our children, listen, I am so, man, I could, I am so concerned with the family today. I just think we're putting all the marbles in baskets that, that just don't matter. Young people, I want you to listen to me. I was young once. And I remember men like Jim Pence and Don Barrett and Buford Sarver pouring their life into me. And at the time, I mean, I was looking at it through the lens of a 15 and 16 and 17-year-old going, what are they doing? These guys, I mean, all they ever talk about is the Lord and the Word and the Lord and the Word and the Lord and the Word. And man, I look back now and I think, man, Lord, thank you for those guys. Because listen, the world's going to, listen, young people, the world is going to throw these darts at you. We're going to talk about some of those, maybe today, those darts at you. And the world's going to say, this is important, and this is important, and this is important, and this is, in fact, all of those things are more important than any religion of the world. Listen to me. But there, listen, for the believer, if you're a believer, if you're a professing believer and you're a young person, there is nothing more important than your relationship with Christ. There's nothing more important than growing in that relationship, developing that relationship with Christ. That's why we have these, these ministries. You know, we're about to dedicate a building. But you know those buildings, they're just tools. We need laborers in Awana. Ready to sign up? We need them. We said, well, we really hope these kids learn the word, then be here. Then be here, then invest in those kids. Are they worth it? Absolutely. Right? And, and, and so getting back to this thought, Paul and Peter understood the importance of investing. <laughs> because if you look at their lives and you read, I mean, they just got it. So Paul's a great example of a man who was faithful. Peter's a great example. But Peter, Peter's last will and testament, because you can kind of call that this in, in chapter 1, is really based around some statements where he uses the personal pronoun I. And so we want to go through the, these, and we'll probably do it 
because of time, we'll probably do it this weekend next week. But I want you to notice in verse 12. He says, therefore, which takes you back where? To the previous verses. And what's Peter been talking about? He's been talking about their salvation and their sanctification. The blessings of being in Christ, the riches of that. And then he's been talking about the importance of growing in Christ-likeness. So then, then if that's important for Peter's readers, then, then that's important for us. If it's important for Peter's readers to understand their salvation, and if it's important for Peter's readers to have understood this whole progressive sanctification, this growing in Christ, then it's important for us. Right? Right. Because we cannot survive on our own this life. We have to have the Spirit of God controlling us daily so that we can live to the glory of God. And guys, listen, this is not rocket science. If you want to know how to live to the glory of God, get your nose in the book. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you're going to learn how to fly a plane, you're going to have to get your nose in a book. And you're going to have to read that book and you're going to have to study it. Right? You don't just show up in an airfield and say, I want to fly. You don't show up at a hospital and say, I'm your doctor, right? I'm not going to that doctor, how about you? I'm not getting in that plane, how about you? We consider those things important. In fact, anytime I get on an airplane, I want to interview. (laughs) You think I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. I want to interview the pilots. How long have you been flying? Have you ever had any issues? Really define what turbulence is to me because I'm really kind of unsure. You know, they're like, Oh, well, we're about to encounter some turbulence. Da, 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 da. I mean, what are we talking about? You know, I want to interview these people. I want to understand. But you know what? You think about a doctor and you think about a pilot. What have they done? Invested. They've had their nose in the book. Logging all those hours. Why? Because it's important to them. They can't be a doctor unless they log all those hours. They can't be a pilot unless they log all, the, all those hours. And I'm going, okay, well, that's, that's this world stuff, and that's good. We need pilots, and we need doctors. Thank the Lord for them. So if they're logging that many hours to fly us around the world, if they're logging that many hours so they can open us up and correct whatever's in there, man, how many hours do I need to be logging Right? A lot. I need to have it on my mind all the time. And Peter says, therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Now notice what he says this next phrase. It's important to kind of uncover this. He says, even though you already know them. So this is nothing new to this audience. Right? He said, even though... You already know them and have been established. And that term established means grounded. They've been grounded in the truth, which is present with you. So you're like, you look at this verse on the one hand, you go, well, well, Peter, why are you even concentrating on reminding them of these things? They already know it. There's a stage that teenagers go through. God help them. And they just know it. Amen? They just know it. You say, well, you really need to think, oh, I already know that. Well, you need to think, I already know that. Well, you need, have you thought, I've already thought, I've got that. And then something happens. They get out of those teenage years and they get into college and all of a sudden it hits them. 
I don't know everything. We need reminders. And Peter says, listen, you guys have been established in the truth, grounded in the truth that's present with you. You have that. But notice what Peter's saying about himself. He's saying, I shall be ready. And I've labeled this his personal commitment. His personal commitment, verse 12. I shall be ready. Now, the term be ready is an interesting term. It conveys not only a sense of commitment, but of certainty. There's a certain commitment. There's a certainty, excuse me, to the commitment that Peter's making. And and that little term always there is the key. Look what he says. I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Wow, Peter's putting a whole lot on himself, isn't he? He is. He's putting a lot on his back. I shall always be ready to remind you. Notice that's future tense. Always be ready to remind you. Well, if I'm going to be prepared to remind someone about this to do with Christ and that to do with Christ and this to do with their spiritual growth, then I need to be in it myself. I need to be dedicated and committed myself. That term always reminded me, um, for some reason, of the first letter he wrote to him. I want you to go back with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That little term, always. You know, Peter says here in this text, in 2 Peter, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Well, in 1 Peter, he's challenging them. In his first letter, he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What's that next phrase? That next word, excuse me. Always being ready. To make a defense who, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And then he tells you how to do it. He doesn't just tell you to do it. He tells you how to do it. With gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience. So that in the same, excuse me, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So Peter says to them, always being ready. So, you know, I find it funny. He gives the instruction in 1 Peter, always be ready. But then in 2 Peter, what's he saying? He, he, listen, as the teacher, he's saying, I'm always going to be ready. I'm always going to be ready to remind you of these things. So the, here's the question that I, I pose to you that comes from that. Okay, so Peter's making this statement of personal commitment. I'm always going to be ready to remind you about these things, which takes you back through those previous 11 verses. It has to do with their growth in Christ. So the question is, why was Peter so committed in readiness? Well, I've got some thoughts on that. There's two passages I want to take you to. The first one is John chapter 21. This is 40 years earlier. John chapter, approximately 40 years earlier. Go with me to John chapter 21. Now, the purpose of John 21 is not, we're not going to teach John 21 today, but I want to show you, right, Peter's making this personal commitment. Notice in, in the verse, in verse 12 of Second Peter, it's future tense. I shall always be ready. Okay, so he is making this declaration of commitment to these believers. So for me, it just posed that question, you know, um, why was Peter so committed? I mean, you think about the life of Peter. You remember the life of Peter? 
right? You think about Peter and he was called, he was a fisherman. He was called by the Lord Jesus to follow him, right? And you remember there's one point in the ministry where, where they're out in the boat and, and, and the storm is raging and the Lord, right, is walking on the sea. And, and what does um, the Lord says, Peter, come out to me. And what does Peter do? What does he do? He gets out. Right? I have a sermon I did years ago because I think sometimes um, it's easy on this side to kind of chastise these guys. But he got out of the boat. I mean, he got out. Right? He did walk on the water. And to my knowledge, it's only the Lord and him. That's pretty good. So he's out walking on the water. But what does he see? He, he sees the, the circumstances, right? The results of the winds and the waves. And he takes his eye off the Lord. And then you fast forward and, 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 and to the crucifixion of Christ. And just before that, and what does Peter do? He denies the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And you're like, man, if, you, if you're looking at it from our perspective as we tend to look at things, you know, you'd say, Lord, you're done with him. Man, aren't you glad the Lord doesn't deal with us that way? He'd have been done with me a long time ago. Man, so you look at 21 of John and I'm going, man, you see the forgiveness, right? The Peter, Peter longed for that forgiveness. And you see that the Lord has a task for him. Now this is 40 years prior, approximately to the time of this letter in 2 Peter. Now I want you to look with me in John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We're not going to break down all that right now. That's not the purpose. You know that I love you. And he, look at this, verse 15. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Oh, yeah, but, 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 but Peter, I think sometimes, you know what happens, guys? And this is just kind of a side note in Christianity. Because we recognize we're not all perfect. And we recognize the fact that at times in our lives, we are disobedient. Any of you ever been disobedient to the Lord, just me? All of you have been disobedient. And, you know, there's a tendency sometimes in that disobedience to, to, to say, and this is, I think, I think, I really do, I believe Satan uses this. He'll say, well, the Lord's done with you. And sometimes I, think, I tend to think that the church kind of chops up its wounded. We chop them up. Now, I'm not saying repentance on the per- part of the person who's, who is walking astray, that it doesn't need to happen. It does. But you know what I think the church is guilty of? The church is guilty of, well, they're not useful anymore. Really? We declare that? Because we would have had to say that about Peter, would we not? Yeah, we would. Done with him. I think sometimes we're way too critical in terms of, well, we're the judge and the jury. And the scripture is clear. We deal with sin. Right? The church deals with sin. It is clear. Matthew 18 tells us the process of dealing with a believer who is walking off the trail. But when that believer repents, because that's the purpose of it, right? You want to see that person walking back in right relationship with the Lord. When that believer turns and walks back in right relationship with the Lord, are they just sitting on the sideline? 
Unfortunately, I think a lot of them end up there. Lord wasn't done with Peter. In fact, he says to Peter, second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Oh, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. I love that statement. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Was the Lord done with Peter? Answer? Class? No. He wasn't done with Peter. Did Peter take seriously his, the responsibility God gave him? I think so. I think the evidence is clear. So that when you come to Second Peter, he's taking this commitment to shepherding very seriously. Well, there's another text that reveals that, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter 5, we get here this sense of commitment from Peter that not only he had, but he wanted the elders to have. So if you're an elder, this might kind of step on your toes, but that's all right, because it stepped on mine too first. So chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your what? What's the next phrase? As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. What does he say? Chapter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's clear. You think that's clear? That's pretty clear. Shepherd the flock of God among you and then he tells them how to do that. So he identifies himself as one of the fellow elders, one of those who was shepherding. Um, And so we go back to chapter one of 2 Peter. And he says, remember, I shall always be ready to remind you. So we want to deal with that phrase, to remind. You know what the word to remind means in the Greek? To remind, okay? It means to remind, and that was Peter's commitment here, was to remind. I want to remind you guys of these things. Remember, our concentration was in verses 5 through 7. I wanted to remind you. But now, if you go back to the Hebrew, the Hebrew is kind of interesting. The Hebrew, however, um, listen to this. The Hebrew word for memorial, you know what that is? Is to remember. So I just got my brain going. I'm like, okay. Well, memorials help us to do what? Unfortunately, um, as you know, and we're not here to talk about what's going on in our country in terms of memorials, but, but we is all I can say. Well, so, but memorials were very important in the Old Testament, okay? So Exodus 12 is one example, but I want to take you to the book of Joshua because I want to show you this, that the Lord wants us to remember. Now, if there's one theme that you could say about the Lord in reference to Israel's, he wanted them to remember, Deuteronomy 6, that whole chapter. He wants them to remember, Deuteronomy 8. He wants them to remember. Remember where he came from. 
That's why I think it's important for, um, and this is just a side note, that's why I think it's important for us to share our testimonies with people. <laughs> When's the last time that's happened in your life, in my life, right? You think about, it. is that a healthy thing? Absolutely. It helps you to do what? Remember. It helps me to remember I was lost, but I've been found, right? I was dead, but I'm alive. It's important to remember, right? So these memorials in the Old Testament, I want you to go back with me. Maybe you've already done that. Have you gone back to Joshua? Are you waiting for me to go to Joshua? Joshua, all right? So let me just kind of give you the overall picture here. If you were to read Joshua, we're not going to read, we don't have time. But Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 through chapter 4 verse 18 speaks of Joshua raising a memorial when God backed up the waters in the midst of the Jordan. You remember that? In the midst of the Jordan Jordan, for Israel to do what? To cross into Canaan after their wilderness journey. Wow, that'd be a really great subject to talk about, that wilderness journey. But if you go back to Joshua... In the fourth chapter, specifically, we have here written for us or given to us a picture of what we're talking about here in Second Peter, right? The importance of remembering. Um, chapter 4 of Joshua, verse 1. Now, it came about when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe. And command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. And so Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into, into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So they have their instruction. All right, that's what the Lord had told Joshua. Verse 6, look at this. Verse 6. Let this be a what? A sign among you, so that when your children ask wow so when your children ask let's take that here for just a second when your children ask you and they have every right to hey dad hey mom when did you come to know Christ hey dad hey mom what were the markers in your lives Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Uh, Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel for five days. Is that what it says? It says forever. I want you to think about this. Your life, in a sense, guys, is a memorial. Your children are going to remember. You know, years ago, I mean, Charles Barkley said, well, I don't want to be, right, a role model. 
And I'm thinking, well, I remember looking at different interviews on that. And I'm thinking, well, you may not want to be. You're going to be. You may not want to be. You think, well, I want other people to look at so-and-so's life spiritually. Can I give you just a real big encouragement here as a family? All of us are going to have people we look to and we say, wow, that person, we really want to be like that person spiritually. But listen to me, as a father, I want my children, I've told them this, when they throw dirt on me one day, I want them to be able to say, Thad Blunt walked with the Lord. He stood on the word of God. Was he perfect? They know better than that. Absolutely not. But my desire was to please the Lord and everything. You know, we have memorial services, right, at times. What is said at those memorial services? Man, listen, for every believer's funeral, it ought to just be a tremendous celebration of what the Lord has accomplished through that person for his glory. So, memorials are important. We have a memorial given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to go there with me. 1 Corinthians 11. A couple more things to say before we end today. There's a memorial for the church. Right? So I'm thinking Israel, the church. By the way, this, it's not for today. There is a distinction between Israel and the church. Everybody, raise your hand. You understand? There is a distinction between Israel and the church. And the church has not replaced Israel. That is a popular doctrine out there today, and it's unfortunate. This is not the class for that. Sometime we may talk about that. It's a very serious subject. Well, so you have the Old Testament, and you have this example of a memorial in Joshua 4. Well, you come to the New Testament, there's a memorial, a time of remembrance for the church. And Paul talks about it in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What did the Lord expect? He expected the church to do what? Remember. Remember. And every single time we have the opportunity to have the Lord's Supper here, we do what? Hopefully, part of that, we remember. You know, the cross is not just a symbol. The cross is a symbol of what? Of suffering. My Lord and my Savior, he hung on that tree. He spread out his arms in love. And nails were driven in his hands and driven in his feet and the crown of thorns on his head, and a sword was thrust in his side. He was beaten with a whip. All for you and all for me. (laughs) Don't you marvel? I do. Remember. And that's, listen, that's the point of 2 Peter 1. 
Peter's saying, you need to remember, I don't want you to forget these things. I want you to grow in Christ. He is the answer. I always have this picture of Peter kind of grabbing at their throat saying, listen to me. I know you already know this, but don't forget. One theologian wrote, the difficulty with memorials is that, that over time we may forget their significance. Boy, is that true? Man, that's true. I have a flag. I almost brought it today. Maybe I'll bring it next week. You'll forget that I've even said that. But um, I've got a flag in my closet and I keep forgetting to get one of those container things, you know, you can put it in. And, and they're really nice. But my grandfather, my mom's dad gave that flag to me. And you know what that flag reminds me of every time I see that flag? It reminds me of his willingness, his willingness to put his life on the line for our country. And he did that back in World War II. You think about 9-11, they have those monuments there in New York City. What are those? Those are memorials. They're what? They're to remember. You know what? The, the sad part, I think it's a sad statement, but I believe it's true. Our country remembers for a time and then forgets. But you know what? The church may be guilty of the same thing. We remember for a time, but we forget. Well, if we read the Old Testament, we know Israel did. Remember for a time, but then forget. Lord, we want you to help us to remember. That was Peter. He's clutching at their throat saying, remember. Let's pray together.